Thank you for sticking through those commercial breaks, and I am excited to introduce our guest today who needs no introduction, and this introduction will do him no justice, but he is the founder and CEO of Baleshire Capital Management. He is an investor and a former or a retired medical doctor. He also most recently has joined us at Bitcoin Magazine as our pro fund manager, my dear friend, Dr. Jeff Ross. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Q. Good to see you. P, Chris. Chris isn't on the stage right now, but... Hi to all you guys. How are you doing? Fantastic. We are we are great. Minus one thing, and honestly, this is the reason why I message you frantically on a Sunday, being like, "Hey, can you come on the show?" Because I'm having a little bit of a a panic because of your most recent tweet. But did you? Are we no longer allowed to call you Doctor Bear? Oh shit. So it's it's a well. For, well, let me let me caveat this by saying I have a post-it note. On my computer, I don't know if you saw that tweet. It says, "Don't post trading ideas on Twitter!" Exclamation <laughs> point. Because because the trolls come after me, and and I and I and I keep I keep kicking myself for saying anything about what I do regarding Bitcoin. So here's what I like to say about Bitcoin: I'm a wild fanatic about Bitcoin for its long-term prospects. I'm still very bearish macro-wise. I still think risk assets are going to get hammered. I think it's quite possible. That Bitcoin. So, if we let's talk in terms of probability. This is a really long answer to your question. Can, can you call me, or should you stop calling me, Doctor Bear? There's a chance Bitcoin is bottomed, and 17.6 was the bottom, and there's a good chance that it could just do a slow grind higher. There's also a chance that if the Fed pauses, that we'll get a really impressive rally in risk assets, and that Bitcoin will also catch a strong bid if that happens. But if things continue to get worse, and we have a capitulation type event and stocks, I think it sucks Bitcoin down with it. I think if we get another crypto contagion event that I'm sure you guys have already talked about today with, you know, SBF and FTX and Alameda and, and Binance and all that garbage, if that, if we have another crypto contagion event, I think it pulls Bitcoin down too. And so even though Bitcoin doesn't deserve it, and even though Bitcoin has nothing to do with that garbage, it's still going to get sucked down alongside of it. That's just what happens. So anyways, that's my really long answer to say I'm sort of cautiously optimistic based on its price action in the for a, for a trade, but I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I think in the next nine months, things are going to be still kind of rough and we'll see what happens. So, you're, so just to be clear, you're saying it could go up or maybe it will also go down. Yes. Or sideways. <laughs> Interesting. Can we call can you Dr. Crab? Like, like crab walking? <laughs> yeah, you could. Dr. Hedge Waffle. Dr. Waffle. It's Dr. No Commitment. My favorite, one of my favorite things is the, the intensity with which you like announce that you're like Dr. Bear now or you're Dr. Bull. And I feel like a special responsibility there because I, you know, leading into Bitcoin 2022, we had a, a Twitter space and, you know, it was a sort of peak bull run and you came in and you were like, Hey, look, I think it's just important that we, you know, don't get too excited. You know, the macroeconomic environment, not great. And I was like, fuck you, you're a bear. You don't know what you're talking about. And you were very gracious about it. And you were like, look, I'm just here to, and I was like, no, 500 K by conference day, which I still maintain is possible. Yes. And you were right. Just, I got his call. To be clear on all of these, like hundred K, 200 K, 500 K by conference day, Pay attention to the fact that no one actually says which conference or what year that conference exactly. is. Exactly. I did. I did. I was very clear. Bitcoin 2022, <laughs> 500K by conference day. And I still maintain it's possible. Time travel will be invented eventually. Yes. Yes. The space on continuum is not a hard limit. We're going to go back in time. We're going to make it happen. You and me, Jeff. I love that optimism. P, Let's I'm go. giving you strike two. We're not going to waste Jeff's time with all of our crazy conspiracy <laughs> theories and ideas. Uh, I want to unpack though. 
we're not going to talk trading ideas because honestly, fuck the trolls. We don't, we don't need that energy or those vibes. But what I do want to kind of get a grasp on, because I think we do see things very similarly, Dr. Jeff, of the broader macro environment just doesn't feel right. There are certain indicators that I'm paying attention to, but I'm curious, what are you paying attention to in the broader macro environment that's helping you gauge sort of where you see things going? Sure. I think I start with what is the yield curve doing? So I'm a big fan of the treasury yield curve. Mostly, most of the time, it's a really boring thing to care about. Most people don't care about it. But when we get into dicey times, it's a really important metric to watch. So when we see yield curve inversion and the, the two-year, 10-year curve has been inverted for quite some time, but what just happened recently is the 10-year minus the three-month curve has also inverted. Thank you. Thank you, P. I love you too. And so so what does that mean? So, so at this point, a recession, I would say, is inevitable and not just a technical recession, right? We had a technical recession in Q1 and Q2 of 2022, and then we actually had some, some solid GDP growth Q3 and where we might have some solid growth Q4 here, that which would which really That's right. it interrupt you, but for the people who've been living under a rock for the better part of this year, can you help define what the technical recession that happened was? Sure. So two quarters in a row of negative GDP growth. That's just kind of what a technical recession is. It usually occurs at the same time that we have a real recession. A real recession is when you involve other parts of the economy. And so the main part that most people are talking about is unemployment. It's hard to have a real recession when unemployment is historically low. It's like literally still sitting at record lows. Now you can you can divide that up into two camps too. There's one camp that shows that unemployment is still amazingly low. There's another metric that says, well, participate participation rate is actually lower than it should be. That's not healthy. It's not as good as it seems. The household survey actually looks like we haven't had any job growth for several months. So it just kind of depends what metrics you look at. But what I focus on and, and whether this is right or wrong, here's what I do. I focus on the metrics that the Fed focuses on because the Fed makes policy based on the stuff they focus on. They don't care. You know, we all know that CPI doesn't accurately reflect what real price inflation is, right? We know it's much higher than that. Fed doesn't care what we think, right? The Fed cares about what does the CPI show? And more importantly, they say, what does the core PCE show? They've said that many times. So I look at core PCE. So core PCE came in for the, the latest reading was 5.1%, which was higher than the month before and higher than the month before. That still is not looking good. Inflation is still high. So those are what I look at. So bond market tells me a recession is not only inevitable, but now that the 10-year minus the three-month curve has inverted also, it means that it's it's increasingly imminent. So it's probably starting anytime soon. I think probably the first half of 2023, we're going to be in a legit, no fun, structural recession, and it's going to be unhappy for lots of people. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's one thing I look at. What else do I look at? What I care about as a hedge fund manager and as an RIA I want to know how do I make money off this? How do I preserve my client's wealth over time? How do we, you know, where, how do I generate alpha? So what are the things I look at? The strength of the dollar, right? The dollar has been really strong this year. It's gone up a ton, but it's backed off recently. In fact, today it's, it's getting kind of hammered again today. Have we peaked? Possibly. Is it likely? I don't know. I think it's probably going to go higher in 2023, but at some point I expect a, a significant weakness in the dollar and then we get commensurate strength in risk assets. I think the timing of that all works when the market believes that the Fed is actually going to pause the rate hikes when we finally peaked and we've reached the terminal Fed funds rate. I think we get a rally in risk assets at that point. That's historically what has happened. It happened way back in 2006 to 2007. I think I've talked about this with you guys before. The markets rallied really hard from basically summer 06 to October 2007. And then the Fed was like, oh crap, there's actual structural 
problems. The bond market never did signal that we're out of the we're out of the woods yet, and so stuff started breaking. And then the Fed panicked and started rapidly. That that's when they pivoted and started decreasing rates rapidly. And then the floor kind of dropped out under the market, and it was just kind of a disaster after that. And as everybody knows, and then the market ended up bottoming. Stock market bottomed in March of 2009. So this can be kind of a long, drawn-out process that's kind of painful. I think we're actually still kind of early in the phase. One other caveat I have this is I don't think it's going to last nearly as long as the as the global financial crisis because the Fed is moving way faster. They're literally just trying to break things as fast as they can in order to bring, you know, destroy demand and bring inflation down. I think they're going to succeed in destroying demand and they're going to succeed in destroying the economy, wrecking people, putting people out of business, putting people out of work and driving prices down that way. I think it's barbaric. I think it's a socialist way to, to respond to this and I don't like it. I don't like it that they're doing it this way, but this is what we have. You got to play, you got to play with the cards you're dealt. And so, so still bearish for now. I think we get a rally at some point, but then I still think there's more pain after that to come. I think Bitcoin, even though it's the greatest asset that's ever been created and, and, it, and everyone should own some and everybody should own more of it, that I still think it gets sucked down lower if the floor drops out under risk assets. So I know I've obnoxiously asked this question to you a million and one times, but for the million and second time, I at least do not believe there's been any indication or any reason to believe that the correlation between the specifically tech stocks and equities and Bitcoin in particular has dissipated or disappeared. You spend a lot more time studying this stuff. Do you feel like that actually is not, or that that sort of has started, they, let me rephrase these two items have started to sort of distance themselves from one another, or are they still somewhat correlated? All of that stuff fluctuates and it depends on what time frames you look at. You can look at daily correlation charts, weekly, monthly, blah, blah, blah. Historically, there was almost no correlation until about 2020, actually, when the markets crashed, all correlations went to one and then they rose together with each other and uh, correlation stayed really tight. I think that the correlation between Bitcoin and risk assets is going to stay very strong as long as we're in this nascent phase of Bitcoin. We're still in price discovery phase. So it's still going to act like a risk asset, even though it's not, even though we all know what it is. Fundamentally, it's not a risk asset. It's the ultimate risk off asset, but it's going to act like it while we're in price discovery phase. When will we get out of price discovery phase? Maybe once the market cap is above gold and people start taking it seriously as a legit store of value, then it becomes an actual kind of less volatile store of value and becomes a unit of account that you can that people won't make fun of because it, it, it's so volatile. We're a long ways from that, right? Our market cap's what, 400 billion or something right now? It'd have to go basically 25x from here to get to where I think it's, okay, now we can consider it a more stable store of value. Now it will probably become officially uncorrelated with the stock market. It will be It'll act more like the US dollar acts. It will be what people flock into when they're scared and not flee from when they're panicking. We're still in the flee from stage of Bitcoin and and I think this is going to last for many years still. If I did the bad math in my head correctly, I hate to give P any legitimacy on this show, but I do think that roughly translates to just under 500K by conference day. <laughs> by conference day. I did not say by conference day, to be clear. <laughs> no, I, t- I took the creative. <laughs> you heard here first. So one time we, you and I had a lovely conversation where we actually discussed, you know, education being so vital in helping people to understand and help to sort of bridge that gap. You have a microphone and a mouthpiece right now. I'd love for you to just, for any fund manager, anyone in particular who maybe isn't as much of a Bitcoin bull as 
those of us are, what are a few things you would say to them so they can try to really grasp how this is a risk off asset? Sure. That's a great question. Well, it's a risk ass, risk off asset by design, right? I mean, what it is, is it's, it's the opposite of, it's the antithesis of fiat money. So you have your fiat currency that government creates. It's very centralized. Bitcoin is completely decentralized. Fiat money can be printed to infinity. Technically, credit can be expanded infinitely. Anil Kashkari has been very clear in saying things like that. You know, the the a meme we all use is money printer go burr. It can go burr for as long as it, it wants to. And what, what that means is it will go burr until it drives the value of each individual dollar down to zero over time. <clears throat> it's just a mathematical equation. As you print something to infinity, the value of each individual unit goes to zero. It approaches zero over time. Bitcoin is the opposite. You know, one of its amazing features is that it's perfectly scarce. So you can't print more to infinity, no matter how valuable it gets. You can't crank up more printers. You can't crank up more miners and print more of it. You'll get the exact same amount every 10 minutes that it's scheduled to be released. There's nothing that's so. So here's what I like to say a lot. Only so risk only equals volatility in academia, right? So people talk all the time about an asset and its and its volatility, and they say that equates to risk. It's because you can measure and define that, and so people like to use that, especially traditional finance people, especially academic MBAs. I got my MBA too, so I, I went through all of this kind of garbage. They they measure risk using equations, and and it's the easiest way to do that is so-called volatility. That is not what true risk is. True risk is actually the chance of losing your purchasing power over time, depending on where you put your money. So if you put your money in a stock, will you lose your purchasing power one year from now? They call the 10-year treasury the the world's risk-free asset. But was it really risk-free if you've lost, say, 30% of your purchasing power this year because you held 10-year treasuries? I would humbly submit that that was a pretty risky investment and actually pretty stupid. But you can't say that to pensioners and institutional investors who have 40% of their you know, client money in those things. So Bitcoin is not risky because it's volatile. It's it's actually that that's a that's a feature basically because we're in the price discovery phase it's historically it's been more volatile to the upside people who have believed in it and held bitcoin for the long run have been very handsomely rewarded and i think they will continue to be rewarded why should pensioners and institutional investors and endowments consider bitcoin because it's pretty clear to anybody who's paying attention that we're coming off of the mother of all bubbles right so the so the peaks that we reached in q4 of 2021 were literally off the charts based on most metrics that at least i look at price to sales ratios for stocks were as high as they have ever been higher than 1929 higher than 1999 and 2000 higher than 2008 they were higher than they've ever been, meaning that stocks were overbought more than they should have been. Bonds also literally had reached negative rates throughout much of the world. In the US, the, the interest rate on the 10-year treasury approached zero. It almost was zero. Real estate was at record high valuations as well. So we had historic valuations, a historically gigantic bubble. When you get that, as anybody who thinks and studies market history understands, when you reach those levels, to anticipate future gains being anything more than basically flat is is basically asinine. It's it's really stupid to think like that. More likely the 10 to 12 year returns, if you go back to the start of this year, if you look ahead 10 to 12 years, you're probably gonna lose money in stocks and bonds. A 60, 40 stock bond portfolio is probably gonna lose money. So you need to look elsewhere to make money. 
excuse me, had to cough, still have a lingering cough. Bitcoin is something different, right? It's a hard asset. For those who understand it, yes, it's digital, but it's a truly hard asset. It's hard money. It's hard to reproduce. You can't just make more and more of it like you can with the dollar. It has been shown over time to be, though it's volatile, it's an appreciating store of value. This feature will become more and more understood over the years. We still have a long ways to go before people understand that. Gold did a very fantastic job of being a stable store of value for thousands of years. And all fiat currency, excuse me, all fiat currency has done a really remarkable job at being a depreciating store of value over time. And so when you put those three up by each other, sure, you can go to gold for, for it to be a stable store of value in your fund or in your portfolio. But why wouldn't you have an appreciating store of value where you know the monetary policy is already built in? We know the monetary policy all the way through 2140 excuse me, sorry, all the way through the year 2140 and beyond, there's nothing unknowable about it. We don't have to wait for a group of 12 Fed people to sit around and, and make policy decisions for us. We know exactly what the disinflation rate of Bitcoin is going to be. I'm really sorry, guys. I had the flu a couple of weeks ago and I've had this lingering cough. But No, you're good. <clears throat> so anyways, this is a super long answer to say there's really nothing risky about Bitcoin. The only thing unknowable about it is the short-term price movements. But we know that in the long run, that if you have something that people value and that is perfectly scarce, the value will increase and it will approach mathematically infinity over time. And so even if you just put a small amount of your portfolio into Bitcoin, which everybody should, I believe, it's a career risk at this point not to, you're, you're basically insuring your portfolio against the other 99% or whatever percent you put in other assets. And the fact that I believe that other things like stocks and bonds are basically going to perform flat to negative over the next 10 to 12 years. Interesting. Even if they turn the money printer back on, which I, I do want to also unpack because Jerome Powell did make mention last week in his speech, he was like, well, we know we can pump the market full of liquidity because we did it once before when the market crashed really badly. Yeah. So if I, if I may, so for sure, they're going to turn it back on, right? QE infinity is truly QE infinity. We're at this this place right now where they're acting all tough and they're trying to tighten to bring down inflation. It won't last much longer. It's going to, it's going to flip at some point. It could be a month. It could be six months. It could be as long as a year. That's probably unlikely, but at some point they flip and we, we get back into a monetary expansion cycle again. What will happen? Risk assets will take off again. What I anticipate for the twenties, just to look at this visually, the 20, 20s, we're going to go like this, up, down, up, down, and we're going to end right here, 2030, exactly where we started in 2020. Dang, sorry about this cough. Your, your, mute, your muting skills are on point, by the way. We haven't heard a single cough. You need to teach Pete how to properly mute and unmute is what he's trying to allude it's to. It's challenging. It's challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I, I need to talk less and let you guys talk more. Hang on. <laughs> you, you, you say something and I'll cough more. <laughs> well, Fuck. I, I do I do think there's something very important. Just most Bitcoiners, I think, understand this, but a lot of the gains that we saw in the COVID market bubble from 2020 to now were due in large part because the market was artificially pumped up with a bunch of liquidity. And the moment they began to unwind it, not only did you see, like, let's just talk equities for a second. Not only did you see every single major stock index go from an all-time high to levels that were literally at or below the COVID dip, that should just be the sign to you that it was literally as though Barry Bonds juiced himself up and then went out there and hit 70, however many home runs. That's not the real home run record because 
as a Red Sox fan, I hate to say it, but Aaron Judge is the true home run king, not Barry Bonds. Fight me on that, anyone. I dare you to. Jeff, I don't play. You, I don't play football, so I don't know. Baseball is the worst sport in the world. Like full stop. <laughs> I was me. But the, sure. the point I'm trying to make, and Jeff, like, please feel free to either tell me like you're an idiot or like, hey, you might actually like not not be the dumbest person in the room here today. That the market that we saw the all-time highs were so artificial. And then as the Fed has essentially decreased the liquidity, we're at levels below where we were before the COVID pump really started. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Yeah, great points. And I like to really bring up to people, most people don't understand this, which is kind of funny to me, but, but markets are cyclical. The business cycle is cyclical. It's a sine wave. It goes up, you have expansion, you, we peak, and then we, we, we descend the hill, we approach the bottom, we, we trough, we hit the bottom, and then you go back up again and you just repeat over and over and over again. Because we have this credit-based system, those cycles get massively, <coughs> excuse me, the, this cycle for investments gets massively distorted. Credit expansion gets pushed into different risk assets depending on where we are in which cycle. And so you see these massive bubbles in housing, you see massive bubbles in stocks, you see massive bubbles in bonds, which are not normal. <coughs> That's awesome. Sorry, guys. That's awesome when you're in the bull market. It's terrible when you're in the bear market, because at some point this has to deflate the everything busts, you know, the tulip mania finally subsides and everything goes back towards its, its normal value, which is basically zero. So that's what happens. And we're forced to live through these cycles, unfortunately, because of what the Federal Reserve and central banks around the world all do. They make this artificial world that we all have to put up with. Very frustrating. That's another huge selling point for Bitcoin. We won't have these massive boom, boom and bust cycles. <clears throat> you don't have things like crypto going up a thousand X, even though it's literally worth zero. You know, there's no cost to create these crypto tokens. But if they have a good marketing team and the right venture capital team behind it, they can they can go up a thousand x and they can leave you know retail investors as bag holders while they pull the rug out from under them and the VC people walk away, you know, making millions and billions of and billions of dollars. 
very frustrating me for me to watch when you know what's going on behind the scenes and you see who the beneficiaries are, right? Smart people know how to take advantage of this system. It's the, the Cantillon effect. So if you're close enough to the money printer, if you understand where the money is flowing from, you can get access to it and you can make a ton of money. And that's why we have such massive income inequality. That's why it's going to lead to massive government overthrows, geopolitical disasters. This is the decade for that because inequality has reached a breaking point. People are starving. People are angry. It's And, and, I, and I, I think there's nobody to blame except the money and the incentives that the fiat system creates. That's the beauty, again, about Bitcoin is it incentivizes people to do well. It incentivizes people to build for the long run, to think about other people other than yourself. It, it incentivizes people to work hard and to store your value and to quit playing the lottery and to quit you know, gambling in, in penny stocks and meme stocks and whatever else things that people gamble on. I'm not against gambling, but I think the need to gamble comes for a lot of people out of desperation, right? Everybody is dying. They're desperate to make more money. They're desperate to get out of this cycle. And you can't get out of it in the credit-based fiat Keynesian world that we're in. You just literally can't escape it. You're forced to be basically a slave to debt for your entire life except for the special few that are able to figure out how to rise on top of that and be the people to hand out debt and to make money off of this whole process. It's extremely frustrating for most of the world's population and it's we're, we're getting to the final days of it, thankfully, but it's going to be really ugly as we transition out of this system and onto a Bitcoin standard. And it's not going to happen super quickly. I don't think, I think we have years of this to deal with. On that note, what do you, what type of timescale do you imagine this happening on? I mean, obviously there's no way to know for sure, but are you talking about in the order of within the next five to 10 years, we'll start seeing some of these major kind of societal shifts. I always just think back to, I think it was in you know ancient Rome where it's like, as the Roman empire was falling, if you look at the, the letters that were going back and forth between various people, you know, across distances, they, there wasn't, there were very few moments where people were like, oh, this is happening. You know, it was just sort of, increases in, you know, the number of bandits on the road over a certain period of time, but it took many, 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 many years for that to actually play out. So five to 10 years, 10 to 20 years, you know, 20 to 40 years. Great question. It's hard, it's hard to say. I, I think it's going to take the longest in the United States, actually, because the U.S. is the strongest economy and has the world's reserve currency. The dollar, as we're seeing, can be really strong when it needs to be. And it literally sucks the life out of other currencies and other economies around the world. That's what we're seeing right now. Again, I think we get out of it though and we bottom. So in the next, like in the next five to 10 years, I think we will see many countries fall, their currencies will fall and they will fold into the US dollar, possibly into the Chinese yuan and that whole block of countries. I've said this a few times with you guys too, so sorry to keep repeating. And some of it will flow into Bitcoin. And it just depends how quickly the Bitcoin infrastructure goes so it can capture that purchasing power over time. But it comes in waves, as we see, we're going to see another massive wave as, as, the, as the next wave of liquidity is unleashed on the world, probably in the second half of 2023 and beyond. I think Bitcoin will be one of the major beneficiaries of that as well. And so, so will we as well. How long will it take? It depends. I, 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 part of me, I, when I hear the, the arguments for hyper-Bitcoinization and the S-shaped curve and this all happening way sooner than we think, I could actually kind of see that happening. I can believe that it could happen. I think it's unlikely to happen, though, to have that massive of a change, I think, would be kind of rare for, for humans. I think it will take us more time to figure all this out. And I think there's going to be sort of this awkward 
relationship between Bitcoin and the US dollar that will last for probably a couple of decades or so would be my guess. We're going to have the dollar as still this dominant medium of exchange and Bitcoin will be this increasingly dominant store of value. And then at some point people will realize, why do we even need a dollar at all when we just have Bitcoin? And if the, by that point, layer two, layer three, four, five, Jack's, Jack Dorsey's layer five will be built out in Bitcoin and whatever all that means. And then at that point, we'll just be in a Bitcoin standard in a Bitcoin world. And we won't even think about government fiat currencies. In fact, we'll look back and think that was crazy that we used to let governments print money and, and decide the value of our money. That's insane. So I look forward to that day, but we're still a ways away from that. Now, for someone who's not really hyper political and doesn't like talk of politics. I feel like we talked a lot of politics for the first half of this interview today. Um, I, I think there's also a really important notion where we talk about it in Bitcoin a lot, but this separation of money and state, no different than you know separating church and state. You see these narratives forming from the IMF and the WEF, like really attacking a country like El Salvador. Oh, they're, they're going on this Bitcoin standard, but that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do it. Argentina, like, we'll only give you this money if you promise not to use crypto so that, you know, we can have all this control over you. We saw in real time to Jeff Ross's example, Sri Lanka, another country that just took money and loans from the IMF under the guise of, we'll give you this money, but, you know, you have to do the song and dance and like be all like clean energy the way we're not, but you should be. And in turn, that economy completely like crumbled and fell. Look, I don't want to ask you the crystal ball question. I want to save that for when you and I are in Vegas together in a few years. But what I do want to get a sense from you is what what do you think Bitcoin and Bitcoiners in particular need to do to help other countries get onboarded in the way El Salvador has onboarded onto a Bitcoin standard? I see evidence of this happening already all around the world. You know, what, what happened in, in, in El Salvador started with Bitcoin Beach, right? El Zante. Like it just literally started in this tiny little community where, where a couple of Bitcoiners were like, hey, let's do this. Let's create a little circular economy using just Bitcoin. We think it will help the community. That's a dirt poor community. They're really nice people. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could help them out and see what Bitcoin can do? They did it. And, and then, you know, years later, look what happened. El Salvador now has a president who's, you know, shilling Bitcoin buying Bitcoin, putting it on their their balance sheet and making fun of the US dollar and and getting attacked by United States politicians and international politicians because of it. That's pretty astonishing. I see these kind of communities happening all around the world, which is awesome. They're, they're in Africa, they're in other parts of South America and Central America as well. And you don't see them as much in countries like the US where we have a really sound financial system and the dollar is, a, is actually a pretty good currency as far as currencies go, even though you know it's, 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 the, it's the nicest looking crack house on the crack street, as Greg Foss likes to say. And I like that analogy. So we won't see it as much here. And it's a little harder to implement little communities like that here, but you could do it. We could create little circular economies in the U.S. and they are kind of starting to sprout up. So I just think that's how it is. It's That's what's so beautiful about Bitcoin. We, we, we've reached peak centralization. We've reached peak nationalism in countries that have these huge, massive monopolies on power, and they literally can destroy the world, you know, 10 times over if they wanted to. If they wanted to start a nuclear war and do it, they could. 
that's ridiculous. And so nothing is better or makes me happier from a, a human point of view that we're, we've reached, I think, peak centralization. And now we're starting to decentralize. The internet made this much easier. And now Bitcoin being magic internet money is making it even much, much easier. To your point, Q, of the separation of church and state, I think we're living in it. It's hard to see it in real time, like you don't see it happening. But at the same time, if you look closely and you can take a step back, that's one of the things I'm good at, by the way. I'm kind of a top-down macro thinker. Like I kind of see the big picture happening. I'm not as good at the little details. But when you take a step back and look, you can see all of this happening kind of right under everybody's noses. We saw internetization happening in the 90s and early 2000s where most people didn't believe that it would, you know, that much would happen. And then suddenly everybody got Amazon, right? All the brick and mortar retailers just got pummeled, you know, and then the blockbusters went out of business because up came Netflix and things like that. Like that's exactly what's starting to happen in the Bitcoin world too. One by one, we'll just see dominoes fall. Everybody who makes fun of Bitcoin and doesn't believe it and doesn't want anything to do with it, they're literally just going to get run over and they're actually going to get put out of existence by Bitcoin at some point. And then 10 years from now, we'll be like, I can't believe you didn't see that coming. Like, could it, there, it, it was so obvious. Why didn't you see, you know, why didn't you see the internet coming in 2000 and put all your money in Amazon and Netflix and Google, you know? And it's like, well, it, it wasn't that obvious though for, for most people. Most people didn't really believe it was going to have the, the dramatic impact or as quickly as it did. So I see the same thing happening with Bitcoin. It's a beautiful ground up organic type of growth. It doesn't come from the state. That's what makes it awesome. And the state will fight against it because it is, as you say, the, the separation of money and state. And then even as it's happening, by the way, since we're one day away from voting, you know, you all should vote. That's great. You're Americans. Take advantage of that. But if you really want to be effective in politics, buy Bitcoin. I'm telling you, you will defund politicians, you will defund the state. And we will, as we move into this more decentralized world, you're literally making the dollar weaker and you're making politicians weaker and you're, you're increasing the whole Bitcoin standard and you're hastening the, the, the rise of the Bitcoin standard and the new Bitcoin standard world, which, which that's something I'm shooting for. So that's how I try to vote. I vote with my dollars getting exchanged into Bitcoin. That I love that. I'm out, I'm gonna caveat for anyone in honestly, like fuck it, put put me down for any. I genuinely wrote myself in for every possible write-in candidate role, and I welcome anyone else who wants to write me in as a candidate. This is my me officially running for office in 2022. My mom voted for me as well, so I got two votes at least. Yes. I'd love at least a third. I already mailed in my ballots, dude. Otherwise, I totally would have. I wish you would have told me that. Next, <laughs> 2024. Are you going to go for president? Right in president? I'm too young to be president, but 2028. 20, I know. Okay. I know. P, what's on the, the other hand. What's the age cutoff? 35. That's absolutely insane to me. What? That you can be 35 and be president or that you have to be 35? Did you have president? to be 35 to be president? I think you should be at least 80 and have at least mild dementia to be president. Or, or See, that's what I'm saying. Thank massive you. Massive ego. Love that. Like, yeah. also, can we can we just make sure you can't have hair as good as mine? You got to have like a weird hairstyle where only hair from like the mine. front. Yeah. yeah. But like, at least with Papa Biden, in case you guys didn't know, Joe Biden is like bald as a motherfucker. And he just sets his hair up in a way where on camera, it looks like he's got hair. But, yeah, but that's any like other angle, dude is as bald as a baby's bottom, to say the least. But we we have now sidetracked this fully. I want to I want to take it back to Bitcoin because I do like that call call to action. We talk a lot about you know you vote with your dollars, and if your dollars are not circulating in that system and instead are being used in a Bitcoin economy, 
they have less and less control over you. My question, my next question, P, so that we can give Dr. Jeff's voice a little bit of a rest and a break. What is one thing during this bear market that has really gotten you excited where it's under the table, nobody's talking about it, and you're like, in five years, you're going to be like, oh shit, Lightning Network that I clearly saw in 2017, knew it was going to be legit. I told I you not. guys about it then. Well, that's what you told me last night, but all right, fine. Don't take credit for it now in public. Uh, but like, Look, I knew about the Lightning Network back in 2006. I was super excited about it. And I've been promoting it ever since. That is you a bought joke. Bitcoin, Bitcoin in 2002, right? <laughs> no, no, I, th I think it's a good question. I but let me let me also change it a little bit. I want it a little bit more specific because we talk a lot about fediments, and I think especially based on our conversation we had with Obi last week, we really explained how fediments is not going to be for people like you and I, and candidly for most of our audience, it's more for the real life situations that people need to be using sound money today right now we have that privilege and luxury of living in the country that prints the global reserve currency and therefore don't have as desperate of a need to sound money this second so I, I i'm essentially going to take fediment away from you oh yeah I, first of all i hate you because that's exactly what i was going to say as you know but i actually don't think that's the case i think that i agree that there is a more dire need for those for those types of technologies and for people you know, in many other places where the, where they do not have the world reserve currency as their their you know sort of native currency but i actually think that that means that a lot of places are getting a head start on americans right obviously many americans you know as a whole may have more capital to deploy into bitcoin but i think that you know as we talked about before a lot of places like el salvador like madeira like so so many other places in africa they hear about bitcoin and you're just like yeah it's unconfiscatable money that is censorship resistant and they're like shut up i'm already in you know and in the United States, it's like we're all talking about going, you know, to talk to our families over Thanksgiving and having to like have this like fucking, you know, the red string going across everywhere in the room. You're like, invite the family in and you're like, you see, it all starts back in the year 1971, you know, and I think that a lot of those places have an advantage over us. I also think that in the United States, a lot of people are going to get profoundly wrecked in a way that is more, I don't know what the right word is, but more dramatic than a lot of other places for that reason. You know, I know we talk about it a lot. Odell <laughs> brings it up in every single episode of a show, but like The Mandibles is a really interesting book if you haven't read it because it really goes through this, the decline of, an, of sort of like a family that, you know, had its own empire and they just, at every turn, they're kind of like, how could this possibly be happening? And I think that that's going to happen to a lot of people in the United States. Anyway, to answer your question, I think that another really interesting area of development that's being done is in figuring out how to bring the Lightning Network to people that are not, they're using mobile phones as their primary computing device. The vast majority of the world does not have access to a standalone computer. They use their phone as their connection to the internet and as their primary everything. They go to work and they charge, they go to work and charge their phones at work and then go home where they don't have running water or electricity and they're using their phones because they can get access to cell service, but they don't have access to, you know, consistent electricity. So one of the challenges in the Lightning Network is basically figuring out how to make Lightning wallets that are where you are, you have full custody of your Lightning, where you're actually running the node on your mobile device to make those a more effective and more powerful user experience. There's a lot of really great apps that kind of bridge that gap and that are sort of these hybrid custody models, but I'm really excited for the work that a lot of people are doing in bringing that fully to mobile devices and solving some of those UX issues. 
I also think, I'll throw one other thing out there. I think another really interesting area is the work that, you know, that Block is doing. They're building hardware devices that are really kind of focused on how can you bring Bitcoin, again, to as many people as possible? How can you bring secure and safe Bitcoin to as many people as possible? And the thing that I specifically really admire about what they're doing, though I don't necessarily agree with all of their design choices, I do agree with most of them, is that they are bucking the trend. When they announced their heart, the, the way that they were rolling out their hardware wallets, the fact that I think they're going to be seedless, they have like an NFC signing device that pairs with, it's basically like a, a two or three multi-sig. They, you know, keep, they said one of the signers is on their server, one is on your phone, and they have this really cool looking little hardware device. And people were like losing their fucking minds because, you know, traditional Bitcoin Twitter, you know, people are like, you got to have absolute maximum security at every single step of the process. Meanwhile, I'm specifically referring to people's resistance to having an NFC based heart signing device because it's not as secure as some other methods. And the point they made is they're like, look, even though that by itself may be less secure, when you add that to an existing stack, you actually significantly increase your security over the alternative and people are still really upset about it. So I think I really respect that they're bucking the trend and they're doing what are arguably very well articulated technical and design decisions. So that's a cool area as well. Can't wait for that to launch because it's going to be so easy your grandma can use it and you're not going to have to explain anything. They're going to be like, here you go, download this app, here's this device. Go figure it out. And she'll come back and be like, I understand everything about Bitcoin. I want to, I saw some questions in the chat and Chris, thank you for posting the Fediment link. If you didn't catch our conversation with Obi, I highly recommend after we're done with this conversation and before the BM Pro Twitter spaces later this afternoon, that you go check that out. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, please be sure to like and subscribe down below on Rumble just subscribe up above. And if you are listening to this on the podcast feed, please, please, please make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. It helps more people discover these lovely conversations that we get to have. I will, I'm going to piggyback off of peas before I pass the mic off to you, Dr. Jeff, but I actually think in particular what you just described out of block is going to be the most important thing to onboarding and mass. I spend way too much time and Shinobi, like I think part of the reason why Shinobi refuses to come on the show is because I annoy him with my 80-20 question of like, let's not be fucking naive. Like, I don't know when I put or I, I have a push to start car now. Like, I don't know what's actually happening in my engine when I'm pushing to start, but I know I push it, the car goes, I put it in reverse and I drive my car. There is a small subset of the population that really understands the nuances of an electrical combustion engine. I'm not one of those people. I'd even dare say like, P, do you know what really happens in a light bulb when you flip on your, ah, you probably do. I, I do actually, but that's I a do. terrible example. I have no but, idea what the fuck happens in a car. Also, there's no such thing as an electric combustion engine. Well, combustion engine. Oh, that's what yeah, I say. There you go. No, you said but electric. whatever. The point I'm trying to make though is like, <laughs> there's going to be this point where I think a lot of users on Bitcoin in particular cannot, nor will they ever understand like how to properly send a certain transaction or how to do this or that. And we need to make the use cases so easy that your grandma can just be onboarded and like, oh, I bought a little bit of Bitcoin and I sent it to my grandson for his birthday present. Like, that's what I want. I want grandmothers sending their grandchildren Bitcoin for Christmas, birthday, Hanukkah, whatever holiday you celebrate in the upcoming holiday season. I want it all covered by block. So shout out to them. Dr. Jeff, I present the same question to you of in this bear market, what has you most excited for? What is the development that's really growing that you think a lot of people are going to be paying attention to? 
Well, I really said, well, first of all, like when P you were talking about the stuff that blocks doing, I'm one of those people. I literally have like no idea, like half of the stuff you said, I don't even understand what you're talking about. So I'm like, I'm like Q's grandma. I'm like, I just want to press the button and have my Bitcoin do what I want it to do. So I'm, I'm early stage because I came in with the finance wave into Bitcoin, but I don't understand it from the technical side, hardly at all. Like I, I do enough to talk about it, but I, I could never, you know, I couldn't work on, you know, on the Bitcoin protocol and, and keep it safe and do anything useful at all. So just so you guys know, that's, that's how I look at it. I'm looking at it for to be, you know, to be where people like me and people who are much dumber than me and there's, and there's not many cause I'm pretty dumb. So I'm pretty low IQ, but people who have even lower IQs where we can just basically say Bitcoin is just the standard. This is just what you do now. You know, when Jack Mahler's talked at Mahler's talked at Bitcoin Miami in 2022, he was talking about it being available at convenience stores at Walmart at McDonald's at Starbucks, basically. So you could go in and you could just very easily make purchases with your Bitcoin. I'm still waiting for that to happen. I think that's going to be a massive development for Bitcoin. I think once once that happens, for sure, I'm going to use it, right? Even though I hate spending my Bitcoin, I will do it just so I can be out in public spending my Bitcoin. So people can be like, what are you doing? I'm spending my Bitcoin. You know, what's Bitcoin? And start talking about it. And I think and when people see how easy it is to do that, and it's just as easy as whipping your credit card out and, and doing that and be like, hey, and did you know, like the retailer here, McDonald's, they don't even get charged the extra 3% fee that you do by, by that Visa and MasterCard charge them. It's just the Bitcoin Lightning Network. This whole transaction probably cost about a fraction of a penny and talking about that and talking about what makes Bitcoin different. And I think as soon as it gets to be easy, most people just don't care. They're just like, whatever, you know, like if, if you give me the option, I'm just going to do whatever is most convenient and whatever is easiest for me. So I'm a huge fan of anybody who's working on that, who can still keep the ethos of Bitcoin, who can still keep it secure. It's still decentralized. It's still safe to use. Um, but it's just really easy to use. So huge fan of what Jack's doing at Block, huge fan of what Jack, the other Jack's doing at Strike. And there's tons of other people doing awesome work. That's just gonna continue to get built out. As an investor, what I look at is who's doing that well and and how can I support them from an investment standpoint? And like I wanna be supporting, I wanna be investing in places like that. Swan Bitcoin is another good example. I wanna be investing in Swan as they build out their services and people start to move away from the huge behemoths like Schwab, like JP Morgan, Bank of America, and they move into institutions like Swan, like Unchained Capital, like things like that. Like I love that kind of stuff. That's the kind of infrastructure that I can understand. And I like to see it get built out. So I want to see it get built out, get really easy to use. And then that's when the the mass adoption will happen, I think, much more quickly at that point. Then you can be standing next to somebody at McDonald's. And when you pay for your thing with on Lightning, you know, with with your Bitcoin and you explain it to somebody be like, hey, here, I'll whip you. You know, let me, I'll give you 100,000 sats right now. Or let me pay for your Happy Meal and I'll show you how easy it is. And then that's going to be a super easy way to sort of evangelize Bitcoin and get just regular people to use it. So I think that's happening in El Salvador right now. And it's going to take hold across the world, hopefully over the next couple of years. I just want to respond briefly to one thing you said. You know, there's this idea that like you can only understand Bitcoin from a technical perspective or people are like, oh, I'm not like smart enough or I'm not technical enough. And to me, like that's one of the things that's so exciting. Like you understand economics and financial systems and markets better. You've forgotten more than I will ever know about those things. But and so and that is an essential component of Bitcoin. The monetary aspects of Bitcoin is so important. And we all bring different things to the Bitcoin space and to these conversations. And that to me is one of the things that's the most compelling about it. So I just want to say that for our audience, like you don't have to 
you don't have to, you know, view yourself as like a failed Bitcoiner until you understand like some ex extremely technical concepts. You can understand those basic concepts super, super easily. There's so many resources. It used to be the case. I mean, I remember like back in like 2015, it was like, man, learning anything about Bitcoin and certainly earlier than that, it felt like you were like pulling teeth. You had to like go and hunt stuff down and you, it was really, really difficult to find good resources versus terrible ones. These days, there's so many amazing, there's so much amazing stuff being put out there. And from the financial side, I mean, the stuff you guys are doing with BM Pro, I mean, you know, BTC Sessions has incredible stuff. I mean, River Financial, Swan has great stuff. We have great stuff. There's just so much content out there. It's it's easier every day to, to get involved. And also, P's DMs are open. So in case you have any questions, feel free to DM. Like, genuinely, though, like, even people who've DM'd me, I'm probably yeah, so one of the worst any, people to DM. Anything you but, want, you know, how do I open a lighting channel? Why is there blood in my stool? You know, my breath smells weird. Those are all questions I will 100% help you with. Is this edible is the most common question that P does get. 100%. Uh, but I think, Dr. Jeff, we actually, I messed up and I didn't invite you the day that you know, the infamous day where P ate his shoe leather. Would you regale our audience with the story of some of your crazy antics when you- Oh my gosh, yes. You shared some incredible- <laughs> The look you just gave, you were like, these He's like, motherfuckers. Oh, you really want me to go into this? Hey, that's cool. So I want to hear about it, yeah. Tell well, so right. it all started with P, you know, saying, I'm going to eat my shoe, right? If the Ethereum merge goes through, wasn't that the deal? And you guys yes. were yeah. going to invite me to do live hosting and you didn't, and I was offended. But, yeah, we but fucked I that was, up. But, yeah, you it's did. entirely and, Chris's fault, by the way. Okay, Chris. Yeah, I, you better own that. But that, but that's awesome. And I, P, I respect you for saying you're going to do it and then actually doing it. Because people these days say stuff like that all the time and nobody ever does it. But you did it. So mad respect for you. Right there. So in, when I was in college, you know, I'm old, right? I'm 48. When I was in college, I'm a Gen Xer. We were just crazy you know, everybody hated kids back then. We were all troublemakers. We were all like in gangs and hurting, you know, TP in people's houses and doing crazy stuff. And one of the things we used to do back in college age was we play a game called puke poker. And, and so we didn't have any money, so we didn't play poker for money. So we played for, <laughs> instead of the winner getting money, it was the loser had to eat terrible things. So before we started the game, we would go around and like, go to stores and find things or just dig through refrigerators or in garages or sheds and look for things that you could eat and probably not die or get too sick if you ate. That was the goal. It had to be as like terrible as possible or gross. And then, and then, so what we would do is we would rank them. We'd like, okay, this is like kind of the least gross. And then we'd go to like, this is terrible and nobody should ever have to eat this. So I would really hate to lose this game of puke poker and have to eat that. <clears throat> and so the, the way you do that is, so say, you know, you play a game and we played five card or something and it was before Texas, Texas Hold'em got popular, but so we'd play some poker the loser would have to eat like level one, you know, and like maybe level one was you have this huge cup of mayonnaise. You had to drink like a cup of straight mayonnaise or something. And that's pretty gross, but not terrible, you know, and then you'd sort of move on to like turkey gizzards and turkey necks and things like that. And, and anyways, and then you would keep going through and the way you win the game is it's usually the guy who lost the most had to eat the most gross things. And once that person finally puked, that was you win puke poker. And so the one that I won, I, I was not playing well that night. And so I was losing hands and I got two of these dog treats. If you guys know, they're called snossages and they look like, <laughs> li they look like little mini hot dogs. <laughs> and I was doing pretty good. Like, I can do this. Like I can eat this. And I, and I was chewing it 
and it just turned into this like pasty mush in your mouth when you eat it. And then I, and it also has like chunks of bone in it. Oh and my so God, I was this is kind so of gross. Trying to get through this pasty stuff that I was trying to not think about what it's made of actually. And then also I crunched into a bone and I just went Bleh! and puked all over and everybody cheered. And so I won. So anyways, that's a great game to play. If you guys don't have money, if you're a poor college kid, consider puke poker instead of playing for money. Just, I, I'd like to also say, Dr. Jeff, at least there was a legitimate reason as to why you had to eat dog grade <laughs> food. Whereas P, my co-host decided instead of turning around and getting the can of human grade chili, that is actually cheaper than the dog food that you actually ate live on air. I will never understand how or why you willingly Look, did that. For, I'll do anything for that one, man. I'll do almost anything once. Hey, you know, that's what? how I always be. I, I can respect that. Cause I was like that too, especially if it was like with a group of people and it was for a good laugh. Like I would exactly. kind of do anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, I also, to, to help to support you too, P and against Q, like I, I also thought I watched this show on, and I think I told you guys about this earlier. It was on that's incredible. It was this old TV show back last century about people that just did incredible things. That's incredible. And this one dude would just eat anything. And, and so one of the things he ate, like he ate a bike, he would cut, he cut a bike into a ton of little Jesus. pieces and then he just ate it little like piece by piece he was working on at the time of that episode i still this is probably like early 1990s he was eating an airplane a small airplane they were cutting That's it into tiny pieces madness. and every like you know several times a day he would eat the metal and he'd eat the rubber and he'd eat the whatever parts of it That's and i'm terrifying. like if this dude can eat an airplane i can eat the least i can do is eat a shirt right i mean that's just sound logic right there it checks and out. So in, right. So in college, I, I took a shirt that I had, a T-shirt that I didn't wear very often, and I started cutting it into little squares. And one by one, I would just eat little squares of my shirt. I like imagining got, you doing this. Go ahead. Yeah. I got through like a fourth of it over about a five-day period. And then I had like the worst stomach pains I've, I've ever had. And so I wonder if it like created this blockage in my, in my uh, intestine somewhere or something. And so I, I actually quit. So I only ate a fourth of a shirt. You're so a quitter. Not, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I'm a quitter. I was a quitter. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that's in, about that story. That's incredible. I also like imagining you doing that. Like, no crowd of people. You're just like in your home. You're not even telling anyone. You're just like, you know what? I can do this. I'm prove it to myself. <laughs> yes, I can do it. That's all about. One, and I'll do one last thing since we're talking about because we just had Please. friends over and I was I was reliving this story just this last weekend. This the old movie you guys are way too young. It's called The Outsiders. It was a, oh yeah, of course. Movie. Oh, you guys know it. Yeah. The, remember the scene where the to dude, play that. <laughs> Do you that, remember when the dude, right? he was smoking and then he, he like put the cigarette into his mouth and then he ate it. Oh, and I yes. said, that is so stinking. That is so tough and so cool. I'm going to do that someday. That was what I said. So we're in college. Okay. And I'm with my friends and we, I, back then I used to smoke cigars with my college friends and I had a pipe. I used to smoke a pipe, like old school pipe, not, not, mod, not the modern pipes. Anyways, I, by the way, people do not smoke. I don't recommend it. It's unhealthy for you as a doctor. I have to tell people. Okay. But anyway, so what I did is I smoked this cigar down as far down as I could till it was like burning my fingers. Cause it was so hot, put it out on my shoe, waited till it cooled off a little bit. And then I popped it in my mouth and ate it. And I'm going to tell you guys, if you've never had tobacco poisoning, just, <laughs> it will just, I thought I was going to die. I, I was standing and for like the next two hours. I was having this massive vertigo and we were actually out camping that night. And, and long story short, I made, I like had to crawl back to my tent cause I, cause the world was moving and shifting so much. Oh and I crawled gosh. into my seat and I was just pouring sweat 
And my friends thought I was going to die, but they just left me because, like, well, if he's going to die, he's going to die. Let's just let him go. And yeah, sleep they're like, like, he brought this on himself. <laughs> and I woke Play up. stupid games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I woke up the next day, and I was fine. And so, But anyways, so I would not recommend eating a cigar or cigarette. This is incredible. Or this smoking like, one, for that matter. Or, well, yeah. Don't smoke either. It's, it's bad for you. Bad for you. I feel like this is more alpha than we've gotten in a long time. <laughs> That was the most useful part of this conversation. I think people learn the most. About yes. And I literally wow. have about 500 really stupid stories like that about what I used to do when I was high school and college age. So I look forward to hearing so many of them this week when we get to hang out in person. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. it's going to be awesome. Are you guys uh, both going to be in LA this week? We will. Yeah. We will. We're going to be home hometown. Yeah. That's yeah, right. That's right. Get ready. Welcome to my hood. But Dr. Jeff, before we say our goodbyes and let you go off, I know you you do have a meeting, but I want to hand it off to you to let people know like what it is you are working on with Bitcoin Magazine and what they should be keeping an eye out. I'm having a lot of fun right now. So, so I haven't even started doing what I was technically hired for, but so far what I've been doing is, is spending a lot of time talking to Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule and Spencer also is a, is a master. Of the, so the four of us get together and talk every morning about what like we're, these guys are going to be writing about, kind of talk macro together, talk about Bitcoin. These guys do just, I think, some of the finest work in the space as far as doing deep dives into Bitcoin, into, into it from an investment standpoint, into it from like an on-chain point, derivatives point of view. They'll, they go into, they were talking about um, Bitcoin miners being in trouble before Core Scientific announced and before Argo blockchain announced their terrible results and fell literally 75% in one day, Core Scientific did, which I, I, I pointed out on Twitter too, the big shops, the huge chains that do their analysis after, after Core Scientific fell 75% and actually they fell 78% in one day. After that, they moved it from a buy to a hold. They said, okay, maybe oh, you should maybe you shouldn't own this. And so I'm saying the work that Dylan and Sam are doing literally front ran what went on. And they're doing great work. These guys are super smart. I'm kind of like, I don't know what do you even call me. I'm the sort of the team manager. One other thing I'm going to be doing at some point is running a fund for Bitcoin. It'll be a not-for-profit kind of fund where I'm going to teach people how to trade bitcoin and bitcoin not bitcoin itself but bitcoin related kind of things so bitcoin equities we're talking about block before we're talking about bitcoin miners like what if you what if you buy those things and go long or go short in a bear market and preserve your purchasing power you know what kind of strategies do i use as a fund manager and as an ria for my own clients how could i do that and we're going to put that in the newsletter itself and put out actionable investment ideas and trade ideas and things like that so Something to be looking for. Hopefully that will come out in the next month or two. And that will be a nice addition to the work, the awesome work that Dylan and Sam are already doing at Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Fantastic. And of course, we do have at 4 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon, we are doing our Bitcoin Magazine Pro spaces. This will be the only spaces, I believe, this week just because of Pacific Bitcoin. So Joe Consorti is going to be joining us this Mm -hmm. afternoon. Be sure to check that out over on Twitter spaces. If you are not following Dr. Jeff Ross on Twitter, you quite frankly are just doing the bear market wrong. You're doing yourself an injustice. Dr. Jeff, in advance of what you will see on Twitter that Greg Zaj made on your behalf, if you like it, it was our idea. If you didn't, it was all his fault. <laughs> Come after Greg if I don't like it. Exactly. Greg, Greg's always pushing the envelope. I like it. I respect you, Greg. Thanks for that, man. All righty, guys. We are going to wrap up today's show now. But before we do, I want to also remind everyone and let everyone know, as Dr. Jeff mentioned, tomorrow is election day. I know Bitcoiners don't really give two shits about elections, but of course, 
we do because there are some very important Bitcoin politicians that are running for various offices. And we are going to have an election special. Make sure you like and subscribe down below, guys. We will be back tomorrow. And of course, we will see you all on Twitter Spaces in a couple of hours. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.